0: Shut up, and sit down.
1: You're listening to The Bridge. Keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello everyone, you're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this podcast. Well, Freddie Coleman dropped by the show. We'll take a look at what life is like at ESPN Radio and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 27 of The Bridge greetings and salutations everyone welcome to another installment of the bridge and what a glorious episode it begs to be as we've discussed in the past, sometimes it's nice to, in a way, take a step back from the current sports news if maybe nothing exciting is really going on and have a conversation with someone who works in sports media but has a pretty great story to tell. Now, this week's episode could have centered around the NBA playoffs which team looks like they're going to make the NBA Finals. We could have taken a look into MLB baseball and talked about a grown man punching another grown man on the baseball field. But it's an honor and a privilege for me to be joined by this week's guest, none other than ESPN Radio's own Freddie Coleman. That's exactly what I was thinking. Now there's a quick story that goes into this. I actually reached out to Freddie last year, a couple of months after I started this podcast, and I just sent him a tweet asking if he might be interested in coming onto the show. I had a little liquid courage in me for some confidence, and he did respond back and said, yeah, let's make this happen. So we went back and forth a couple of times, but it never really came to fruition, which I was fine with because I was just starting the show. I was only just getting my feet wet. He he would have been the first main guest that I had on the program, and I probably would have stuttered and sputtered through the entire interview. Not saying that I won't do a little bit of that when we actually do the interview, but you get where I'm coming from. But a little over a week ago on Time Hop, I got a message that it was coming up on the one-year anniversary of when I had first asked him to come onto the show. So I reached back out to him on Twitter, wishing us both a happy anniversary for this glorious occasion. I had attached the list of the guests that I've had on the show in the past, and he said, sounds great, let's make this happen. We exchanged a couple messages, and here we are. What's also a little humorous is that he happens to be on vacation this week, so I was busting him a little saying, well, you didn't have to take your vacation just to prepare for my show. I mean, you never know what you're going to expect on the bridge. just like having this live audience right in the studio. Who would have thought that that would have been part of the show? We never know when we're going to hear from them or when we just don't hear from them. That's the worst. Anyway, it's a pretty fascinating story of how Freddie was able to go from graduating with a mass communications degree from Mansfield University in 1987 to becoming the program director at an oldie station to moving his way around upstate New York, continuing to work in radio, doing some work in sports as well, and eventually just being in the right place at the right time to find your way to ESPN Radio. Now, I don't know if it's because his show is on a little bit late in the evening on the East Coast. You might be coming home from work late. You're tired. You can't wait to just roll into bed. But whenever I listen to his show, he just has a way of making you feel at home. It's like you're sitting next to your buddy at a bar, just having a conversation about sports. But at the same time, you're getting educated. You're getting his opinions. You're learning more about a current sports topic and you're leaving the conversation better than you were when you entered it. It also might help that he has one of the greatest radio voices that you'll ever hear. And you'll get a taste of that during our interview. I don't necessarily want to say he's the Barry White of sports talk radio, but I'm just going to let that out there. And if you guys want to run with it, you feel free to run with it. I know it's big shoes to fill. It's quite the responsibility, but I'm just throwing it out there. I'm also not quite sure of how many listeners actually know who Barry White is, but that's for another day. Anyway, for this week's show, all you need to do is sit back and relax and just let Freddie take you through his story from the early beginnings in radio to getting his own show on ESPN, to develop the brand of the show, to develop what the show is going to be all about, and to continue to keep listeners engaged with the show. And have it continue to be as successful as it is today. Because we know in the world we currently live in, people want their news now. And if they can't get it where they are, they'll go somewhere else to get it. And it doesn't necessarily matter where that source is or where it comes from as long as they get it immediately. And one of the challenges of sports talk radio is that there's so many outlets for people to go to to get their sports news. Whether that's in the radio on their car Whether that's in satellite radio, they can find their news online. They can listen to sports podcasts on iTunes, like mine. They can find whatever they want to find anywhere. And it's difficult to be able to have the personality and have the show to keep people consistently engaged. And Freddie Coleman's been able to do that. If you'd like to follow him on Twitter, he can be found at Coleman ESPN. That's C O L E M A N E S P N. He's a great follow. He keeps you updated with his show as it's happening, and he provides you some motivational quotes throughout the day before that to give you some engagement throughout the entire day. But rather than have me continue to ramble about his life, perhaps we should turn things over to him and have him tell his side of the story. So without further ado, here's our conversation. here with Freddie Coleman. He is the namesake for the Freddie Coleman Show on ESPN Radio weeknights from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can sometimes hear him on the weekends as well, and see him on ESPN and ESPN2. He's been kind enough to come onto the show. How you doing today, sir?
0: I'm doing good, John, my friend. How are you, partner?
1: I'm doing well. You're on vacation, taking a little easy time off, and you're kind enough to come on my show during your vacation. So what more can you ask for? I couldn't be happier.
0: Well, I appreciate you having a chance to want to talk to me because I've been looking forward to this, so... I know we're going to have a lot of fun, and everybody hopefully gets get something out of it. So that's been the best thing about this.
1: People are going to learn a lot. We'll just see if I can take <laughs> us there. before I, Before I get into the radio show itself, I wanted to turn things back a little bit to your days at Mansfield because like most young adults in college, unfortunately, in some circumstances, that's when you have to pretty much make your decisions on how you may want to live your life, what paths you want to take. I know you were a football player, wide receiver, and you also did some work, sports editor for the school newspaper, some TV stuff, worked with the radio station for your mass communications degree. I won't tell anyone the year in in case they might think uh, you might be a little younger. But when did you really know that that was something that you wanted to pursue a career as far as the broadcasting sides of things were concerned? And when did you really decide that was the path that you wanted to take for your life?
0: Well, I really decided that basically during my sophomore season because I was going to be a poly major at Mansfield. I love the political process and how everything comes together, the electoral college history, politics, and how things were really shaped in this country. So that was something I had interest in for a pretty much a long time. And a friend of mine worked on worked uh, for the school radio station, she wanted me to voice a spot that they had for WNTE point five FM, and I said, sure, why not? And I walked into the radio station, had a chance to meet everybody and learned about the process, and I grew up loving radio growing up as a kid in New York anyway. It took that for me to walk into the studios and the offices of WNTE that the minute I finished doing this spot and hanging around with everybody, whether it was Brian Lane, who was the program director at that time, I immediately went to the registrar's office, changed my major from poli side to mass communication. So that really was kind of the tipping point moment for me where I said, you know, I grew up a radio fan and a radio nerd and a radio head, but this is an opportunity to really have a chance to do something that I'd always been connected with and always been near and dear to my heart. And now I just took that first step and I felt that that first step was going to lead to the steps.
1: Now, I know you ended up growing up in Brooklyn, but back when you were growing up there, the sports radio wasn't anywhere to what it is today. Like Mike and the Mad Dog weren't around on WFAN. People might think that you've been covering sports your whole life in New York. (laughs) But I know early on you had aspirations of going into the music scene, being a music DJ, being a radio personality along those lines. Where did you first get your start as far as getting involved with radio?
0: Well, my my start, I would say Mansfield was my start because that really showed me everything that I needed to know and things that I wanted to know. So that was really a first for me, really a start for me, excuse me. But the first time I had a chance to get paid for radio was when I had a chance to work at WTHT, FM 103 in Portland, Maine. And first I interned because the program director heard me give a toast at my friend's wedding and he said, why are you not in radio? Wow, and I said, and I said, I would love to be in radio, but right now I'm just trying to find a job. And I sent my tapes, I sent my tapes out to everybody I could possibly think of that had a job opening. And he said, Well, I can't really promise you anything, but if you intern with me, I'll show you, you need to know. And I have enough contacts in this area that that can really help you on. If you want to be at least give you that start that you're looking for. And at that time, I was working part time outside of Philadelphia for watching kids at night of a, a local camp and everything like that. And I said, well, what do I have to lose by doing something like this because it will place me in a better position than I'm at right now. So I interned with him. I worked loading trucks during the day for Jordan's Foods in Portland, Maine, and doing that at night and all that other stuff. And by the time my internship was over, Pete Cassens, was the program director, by the way. And Pete said, you know, the internship is over, but you're not over here. And I didn't know what he meant. And he said, I got a full-time position opening, oh, an opener for you, a full-time position opening in terms of being an overnight radio DJ. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. So that's how everything was able to get that beginning right there, to get that ground floor right there, all because I have a big mouth and I had a great toast at my friend's <laughs> wedding and somebody was in the building that thought, that thought he could make something out of it.
1: What an amazing story to get started. I don't know if any liquid courage might have been part of that speech, but you know what? Everybody has to do their little thing, and that's a, that's a great way to get your foot in the door. I know there was a lot of different places you ended up working as far as the Northeast was concerned. You were in several places in New York that people might not have heard of. You ended up in Albany, and that's really where this journey to ESPN got started as far as somebody just happened to be passing through and happened to hear your voice.
0: Yeah, it was the general manager of ESPN Radio at that time, Bruce Gilbert, because he was driving through to a seminar somewhere, and he always loves to listen to local radio. Bruce is still a friend of mine, even though he is in charge of premier radio networks, part of Fox Sports Radio. Bruce is a major, major friend and a major mentor of mine. And he was just driving through that day, and he had a, a morning meeting on Monday. And you see, I heard this guy, Freddie Coleman, on, on the Fox Sports affiliate in Albany, New York. And at that time, Jason Barrett was one of the producers of game night. He was, in, he was a producer of game night at the weekend. And he said he almost gave himself whiplash, whipping his neck around, going, did I just hear Freddie's name in this meeting? And Bruce said, I wish there was a way we could get in contact with him. And Jason raised his hand and said, I know how to get in contact with him. I have his cell phone. And Bruce says, can you call him? He goes, Absolutely. So Jason called me that Monday, and at that time, I'm doing Monday through Friday up in Albany, New York, in the Capital District area. It's such a great area to work in, to play in, to meet people. It's one of my favorite, favorite places to go back to and visit. And I'll never forget, Jason called me that Monday afternoon, a little after 1 o'clock, because I'm preparing for my show that started at 3. And he said, how married are you to that Tobin and Coleman radio show? And I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, we have an opening here full-time opening for game night on the weekends. We've tried out different people with John Seibel, and nobody's been able to stick with him. And Bruce heard you and wanted to get in contact with you, so send me your stuff. So I overnighted everything immediately to, at that time, Dave Zaslavsky was his boss. He was in charge of weekend programming for ESPN Radio. And I got a buzz back from Dave saying, you know, we want you to come down and do an audition. And I, I was able to go down, and I did it on Saturday and Sunday, the first show I ever did on the radio was with John Seibel and Sean Salisbury. And I had so much fun because they made me feel so comfortable and so welcome. They always told me from the, initial, from the initial that you have to be yourself because that's what got you here in the first place to get an audition. And I'll never forget one of the producers also on that show, Jeremiah Crow, another friend of mine. And I, someone told me this later. Jeremiah walked in midway through the show and said, hire him now, hire him before he gets away <laughs> with somebody else. And so, Dave, after the show was over, I didn't know how I did, but I figured, you know what, if I didn't do well, fine. I was still ahead of 99.9% of the world. And Dave says, can you come back and do it next week? I said, well, I have to take a day off from here to do this. If I do it again next week, someone's going to get suspicious in Albany. But I can do it in two weeks, and then we'll see what goes from there. And they kept bringing me back every weekend. And June of that year, in 2004, Bruce offered me a contract, and I've been at ESPN Radio ever since.
1: As they say, being in the right place at the right time goes a long way. And that's one of the things I love about your story is that's happened two or three times, and it's worked out quite well in each circumstance. How long were you with game night, and how did you start moving through the ranks, if you will, to end up getting to where you currently are in this position?
0: Well, well, game night, I tell people all the time, it was a a six-hour fool's paradise because When you're doing six hours of radio, right about that third or fourth hour, John, that show can get pretty interesting when you're loopy and you're full of sugar or you're full of caffeine, whatever that is. And so we had so much fun doing that. And I did game night for about five years before they decided, look, six hours is way too long for one person, two people, three people to do a radio show, especially when listening habits completely are always changing and always going to be fluid in our business. So all of a sudden it went from game night for six hours, then game night to four hours, and then the powers that be decided that you know what people gravitate to people whose names are on the show, whether it's one person, whether it's two people, whatever that is. So that's when game night went away, and then they had Sports Center tonight because Sports Center they felt would be more of a catch-all where people would pay attention to radio. Then they said, well, that's not working, and then back in 2012, that's when I finally got a chance to have the Freddie Coleman show, which at that point I was doing on weekends on Saturdays and Sundays, in right. addition to doing sports SportsCenter tonight, Monday through Wednesday. And said, so you know, it's, you, you've earned it. You've earned the opportunity to do a Monday through Friday show, and that's how that all came about.
1: So in a position like that, not only are you doing radio for the people that listen around, ESPN is well known for syndicating their programs. So not only are you just around Connecticut, the surrounding areas, you're in homes, all the way in the West Coast, all throughout the United States, even at NEPA where I am. Were you a little Mm -hmm. nervous for that first show when you had this syndication? You knew you were going to be broadcast to millions of people?
0: No, I, I guess I got all that nervousness the minute that I auditioned on ESPN radio because I figured if I could deal with that, dealing with an audition on national radio, then I can deal with anything, to be honest with you. So I really, I think I always figured that if I could get my name on the show, I had a pretty good idea how to make that work and how to have a show work that way. So I think whatever nervousness I had was completely out the window, mainly because I felt I had a pretty good idea of how I could make that work and how to really engineer a radio show that would be informational, that would be educational, that would be entertaining, but more important than anything else. A show that was always going to start as a baseline of having and think I had eliminated itself the minute that I had to audition on national radio back in 2004.
1: Now, I don't know if it's because your show ends up being on a little bit later at night, but one of the things I really love is it just seems like you feel at home behind a microphone. You make us feel like we're sitting next to you at the bar just talking about sports like you would with your buddies. How would you describe your approach as a sports broadcaster? Some of the things you've tried to bring to your show every night to keep it as successful as it's been.
0: Well, one of the things I always tell people that as much fun as you think that we're having, we're having a lot more fun than that because I wouldn't want anybody to think that I don't like what I'm doing because I clearly love what I do and I always want that to radiate no matter who's listening or no matter what they bring to it. It's always going to be for me what I'm going to bring to it and I can go from there. So one of the things about our show that is very unique is that we set the news where everybody else is going to talk about the next day and that's always been a hallmark of our show is that when you hear something the next day we've already talked about it and discussed it because that's where everything happens and and we're one of the few shows outside of Mike and Mike in the morning that's cleared in every major market in the country right so you're gonna hear us in New York you're going to hear us in Los Angeles you're going to hear us in Chicago and whatever platform is there whether it's an app or online or, or Sirius satellite radio we have a lot of clearance that a lot of other shows don't have throughout the day other than Mike and Mike in the morning. So I want anybody to listen to me when they listen and say okay I don't have to question what that he does not enjoy what he's doing because he really does whether you agree with me or disagree with what I have to say I'm completely okay with that. I wouldn't want anybody or everybody to agree with what I had to say because no one is that smart or that brilliant. But that's the one thing I always want people to take from that show that no matter what you're always going to get 100% of me. You're not going to get any less than that and that can be good or bad depending on who you talk to.
1: What is the typical day like as far as when you sit down with the producers and start figuring out what you guys are going to talk about? I know sometimes you even periscope that, so we're brought right into the studio with you guys to see what you're discussing, what's going to be on the fire. But how is a typical night as far as when you decide what you're going to be speaking of or how you might want to move the show along?
0: Well, we have what we call our gladiator yay or nay board, and what we do is that we have a whiteboard and we have that kind of press in our studio where we throw as many ideas that we've been able to think of through today. And my producer, Stash Sianke, and I are always texting each other, sending notes to each other. What about this? What about that? Did you see this? Did you see that? So by the time we get together about anywhere from three and a half to three hours before the show, we put everything up on there. Okay, what do you think about this idea? Then we have what we call the Gladiator Roman, Roman Colosseum moment where we give the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And believe me, plenty of things I think that I should talk about where people go, nah, it's not a good idea. You might want to leave that alone. So that's how we prepare everything. And we always want to make sure we're on top of as many things as possible. And we don't want to miss anything. Even if something is really cool and really funny, it may only have a 60-second shelf life. We can put it out there really quickly and make that work if somebody has never, ever had a chance to hear about that story. So that's what we we do. That's how we've been able to plan our show and make that work.
1: Did it take some getting used to for how the format of the show goes as far as ESPN is concerned? Because there are a little bit more of shorter segments just because of how much advertising they have, where you have to be a little bit concise, but still be able to talk about the topics everyone wants to hear about but you can't well, necessarily my- just ramble on as you might on another channel because everything is kind of scheduled and you have to be able to fill that time.
0: Well, they've been very good at letting us that if something is compelling, we could go on as long as we want, but you better make sure it's going to be compelling. Right. Somebody can have something and talk about for 15 minutes, but if you have my attention for 15 minutes, then you know I'm going to listen. I'm going to buy in from that standpoint. So we've been able to take something and, Something that continues to go on. If we have different takes on it, we're able to make that work. So the one thing ESPN Radio has really stressed with us is that always make sure the the content is compelling. It could be 60 seconds, it could be six minutes, whatever that is. But if it's not compelling, then you need to stop it right then and there. And you have to be smart enough to realize when something has lost its steam or something is about to run out of steam. So that's something that. Plenty of times where I know it, and there are plenty of times my producers say, "Okay, let's move on to something else." We've taken that as far as we can take it, but there really is no time limit for us to say, okay, you got to do this for four minutes, then move on to something else. Right. If it's compelling and you have people's attention and you get that kind of reaction, you can take as long as you want.
1: What do you think some of the biggest challenges have been in trying to keep the listeners engaged and educated in what's going on with the sports world? Because as you mentioned, you guys have such a far reach as far as listenership is concerned. But the attention span of my generation seems to be we want our news now. And if we don't get it where we are, we'll go somewhere else to get it. How are you able to keep people engaged and kind of evolve with how things have been going as far as sports talk show is concerned?
0: Well, well, that's always the trick to what we do, John, because you just never know. You're out there, you're really flying without a net underneath you because you don't know where you're going to land, but you have to hope that you're going to land safely and bring people with you. So that's one of the fun challenges. What we do is that, okay, we don't know who's out there, but whoever is out there, we want to make sure wherever they are, they're not going to go anywhere. And a lot of times that we have a saying that, if you play what people want to hear, if you play the hits as we call that, people are going to chime in. So there may be one person side of Johnny Manziel, but then I got four other people weighing in on Twitter, or on Facebook, or calling out our number to say, "Hey, I think this and I think that." I'm going to I'm going to be on their side more than anything else right. because that one person is an outlier. That person, male or female, is going to come back if you give them something else. So you always have to you always have to manage and navigate that minefield as much as you possibly can, but you just don't know. You just have to hope that whatever you're doing is going to resonate enough that people, when they get out of their cars or they leave you, they they can't wait to come back to hear what you have to say. That's always, always going to be a trick that everybody tries to find, but you never have a really right answer how to do that with that kind of compelling content you hope you're putting out there.
1: And a good way to gauge that would be with the radio callers. Some people call in very opinionated, very intelligent. Some people call in and I bet your producer probably looks at you and wonders why he let that caller through. How important would you say that reaction has been to your show? And how are you able to manage that conversation that you might have with the listener as far as how far you may let them go and how you put that discussion along?
0: Well, listeners are never going to dominate the show because I wouldn't want somebody out there driving along saying, well, I tuned in to hear what he had to say, and I'm hearing other people saying something. So pretty much that's never going to happen on my show because I wouldn't want to listen to somebody else's show, and I hear caller after caller after caller, and I'm thinking, well, where does the host begin and where does that end? I tuned in to hear what that host had to say. But I think you should have that kind of reaction. It shouldn't just dominate your whole show. I would never have a show for three hours and I'm just taking calls all the time. That's just ridiculous to me because at that point I shouldn't even be there. I should let somebody else do the show. But I think anytime you can have reaction whether it's social media, those kind of things all are part and parcel of what we're trying to do and what we hope to accomplish each and every night that we're out there. So, I don't mind that people have an opinion on something because sometimes they'll bring something to the table that I had not thought of. I don't mind giving people credit when something like that comes along. And I also don't mind when people disagree with me because that kind of back and forth and dialogue, if it's done in a respectful adult manner, that only enhances your show to me. It doesn't take it away. But people have to remember that when they tune into me, they're getting me more than anybody else. And that's the way it should be because it's called The Freddie Coleman Show not to call as part of the Freddie Coleman show.
1: That's a good point. And you mentioned the social media aspect of things, and that's certainly grown, especially since you first started on radio. And you're really good at conversing as the show goes on with the people that want to tweet out of you, whether it's praise and you might be giving them some thanks for that or whether it's a little bit of a discussion when a game is going on or some of the different things going on in the sports world. How important do you think that side of things is as far as social media is concerned? And how are you able to evolve with that? Because that's something that wasn't necessarily as strong when you guys first were doing game night.
0: Well, I tell you what, it's been a godsend because anytime, and even if it's the silliest tweet in the history of mankind, sometimes it's good to call people out to let them know how silly that they're being when it comes to something like that. But I think social media, done properly and done intelligently, is always going to be a boon to what you're trying to do, and it doesn't matter if it's radio, TV, whatever that is. And you're always going to have what I I call those Twitter Nazis out there, those Twitter gangsters that always believe they know more than anybody else, but they really don't know anything. If you're able to separate that and move them out of your way and ignore them, they're pretty insightful and profound people that do not mind sharing what they know, what they feel when it comes to social media. So. That has never been an issue with me and, and John, when you think about it, radio, talk radio has always dealt with social media. It's been a social media form because you're reaching out to people to get a reaction or what kind of reaction they're going to have if it's happened in tv it's happened in radio it's happened in newspaper form for the longest time it's just we call it a different name now where we call it twitter where we call it facebook where we call it snapchat sure but all that stuff has gone on in media because media is social everybody wants to be involved in media or have a say so when it comes to that it's just called a different name and in an shorter form now because somebody was smart enough to call it a different name and make a lot of money off of it But there's always been social media around because we have people that want to interact with everybody else, no matter what form that is. Social media has been around since the beginning of time.
1: And you mentioned before how important it is to get people to come back and want to continue to listen. And I know one of the backbones of the show that helps to make that happen are the teases. Before you head to break, you throw something out there, make sure people are going to be hooked, come back and listen to the segment are you a fan of the tease? And if you are, which I'm guessing you are because you do a very good job with it, how are you able to create those and really get the listeners hooked to want to come back and listen to what you have to say next?
0: Well, I've always been a fan of teas, is because growing up in music radio, always loving the DJ would say coming up next. And you're thinking, okay, what song is that going to be? And I hope that it is my favorite song, or if it's my favorite artist, I can hear anything. So, that art is always something that I've really loved about radio and especially what we do. My big, my biggest thing is it has to be as short, as concise, but you have to have a little vagueness to it because you don't want to give the whole thing away because at that point someone's thinking, well, I don't need to tune in. I know what he's going to talk about. But if you have something where people say, hmm, I wonder what that's about, more often than not they're going to come back and try to find out exactly what that is. Because, And I'll never forget this. One of my bosses told me, one of their favorite teasers was when I said, an NFL player walking through an airport with a loaded gun, what could possibly go wrong? That's next. <laughs> and he said he said, out of his car and he didn't want to get out because he wanted to know, A, who the player was, B, what airport was he walking through, and C, what exactly happened because he knew that, okay, that could not have ended well. Those kind of teases are always, always going to be beneficial because they raise that in, in the person's mind of going, hmm, I, you always want that, hmm, fact, like, well, I wonder what that's about. And more often than not, they're going to tune in because there's just enough meat there, but there's just enough of a vagueness there where they can say, okay, I want to see what this is all about. So to me, when you do that, and it doesn't have to be this long war and peace tease or anything like that, but something really, really critical, when you give them just enough but not too much... That, that's when you know you have somebody. More often than not, they're going to keep coming back and coming back and coming
1: back. Well, it's pretty much like the game of Clue. You give people those little bit of clues. You put them in that little confidential folder. We, as the listeners, try and figure out what you're talking about and see if we can mm-hmm. guess it before you come back and pull the cards out. So it does definitely add to the show. It's like you just mentioned, that one is one of the more interesting ones where you want to come back and listen for more. Now, I know in March, you brought on Ian Fitzsimmons to be your co-host and he's been really great with you guys going back and forth was that transition a little difficult to get back into the swing of having a co-host or did you guys immediately just kind of develop that chemistry just based on how much experience he also had and how big of a sports fan he is as well
0: it it was immediate because you have to enjoy the person you work with and I've never been able to understand how people have been able to work years and years with somebody and they can't stand the side of them. And I'm thinking, you can't need the money that badly or you can't need the success that badly, but maybe some people do. I guess that worked for them or works for them. God bless them, but that's not for me. But Ian and I have known each other close to eight years. So when that came about, I said, absolutely, because his infectiousness and his personality is terrific. He's not afraid to push any kind of envelope. He's going to be himself. He's going to have that had that sense about him that it's very very likable and everybody has borders and everybody they will have their detractors he's no different than anybody else but i knew that was going to work because of how different and similar we are as people and as men and as radio personalities but also having that different kind of element i knew it was going to add to the show and not take away from it and i have not been pleasantly surprised because i guess i expected this because i knew a kind of ability and talent that Ian had, had before that was getting a chance to get that shine on a national platform.
1: It definitely adds a, a different conversation and a different element to the show that, at least from what I've been reading, people have seemed to appreciate. So that's something we could definitely look forward to as things move on. I know you've also filled in, we see you on TV once in a while. You'll be on First Take or His and Hers or different shows along those lines. What do you think the biggest difference is for you as far as that preparation and content is concerned from going from behind the mic to in front of the camera?
0: If if anything, John, there has not been a difference because when I go in and do first take, a lot of stuff that they're going to talk about, I already talked about the night before. So I already have that recall. So if anything, that has really helped me on that show. And I guess I keep fooling people because they keep asking me to come back and fill in (laughs) with Stephen A and those guys aren't there. But I think that's the one advantage that I may have compared to other people that I fill in with and that a lot of stuff that they're going to have a hot take on, already had a hot take on it the night before. So there isn't anything that, that they had a chance to talk about that I haven't had a chance to have to speak on the night before or at least have in my head that I thought about it and decided that something else was more important. It's funny because when you, I tell people all the time, they don't realize what kind of monster that show I mean that in a great and affectionate way. I'm amazed by the reaction, good, bad, positive, negative, whatever, for people that are fans of that show that enjoy when we fill in and other people who don't want to see us at all because they like Stephen A. And Skip, who's going to go to Fox Sports, they really love those guys so much. And I appreciate it. I don't get offended by that because that is their show, what they've been able to build up and make the success that first day has become. So anytime I get a chance to fill in, I don't care if it's for one segment, I don't care if it's for one hour, a chance to do that, On a show like that, it is just tremendous how that is able to work.
1: You know, if you were going to break the news that you were taking over Skip's position, I think this would have been my most popular podcast in the history of the show immediately. But we'll (laughs) we'll see if that happens down the road. As far as that side of ESPN is concerned, how much better does that make your show with that you're able to bring on different espn personalities and guests and players and former athletes because they know the brand they know what you bring to the table and you're basically able to get incredible opinions from people that you might not be able to get as far as a different station might be concerned
0: one of the best things about that four letter brand is the fact that you're able to do that you're able to make that work and people know what that brand represents and when you have that behind you those four letters are very very powerful so I always look at it that I'm blessed to do that, blessed to have that opportunity, and anytime I get a chance to talk to those celebrities, I know how far we continue to come as a company, professionally, personally, individually, or collectively.
1: Now, since Mr. Dan Lebitard also shares the station, he likes to ask questions that not a lot of many people get to hear from whatever personality he has been on. He throws out questions to people that you just don't normally hear. So I wanted to throw out a couple to you, kind of like first thing that comes to mind the first one, do you have full autonomy of the music that you guys play coming in and out of breaks? Because I know you tweet out that set list, and I have a feeling that you have a pretty big hand in what the music is on the show.
0: Well, oh, that's all me. Nobody else. People can make (laughs) suggestions. That's all me, John.
1: (laughs) I had a feeling. It's a great list every time, I have to say. What's been the sporting event that was either happening or had just happened that sticks out to you when you were on the radio and you were just the happiest man in the world to be able to be on air and to be able to talk about it?
0: Goodness gracious. I can't even imagine because there's so many different things that have happened in which we've been able to be a part of. I'll never forget the night that where we had the U.S. World so- uh, World Cup soccer team when they had that tie with the Women's World Cup and they had a chance to move on in advance, and that was fantastic. Or the night that you had the fumble or the play in the Super Bowl where the Seattle te- Seattle Seahawks were not able to get that touchdown. I said, well, I'm really glad I'm going to be on the air to discuss <laughs> that whole thing. So, There have been so many different things that have happened that I say to myself, boy, how about being in the right spot at the right time, especially at that time of night.
1: Have you ever been stopped walking anywhere or doing anything and asked by someone to just have them hear your voice, have you read something, have you just say something?
0: It's funny because a lot of people, because I'm on radio, they haven't had a chance to see my face. So plenty of times they say, boy, you sound familiar. And I go, yeah, I get that a lot from people. And I never give it away (laughs) what that is. I kind of like keeping that kind of history but there have been plenty of times when my wife and I have gone on vacation where we've been somewhere and somebody say, yo, man, I listen to your show all the time. Or, dude, I saw you on first take. You were fantastic and everything like that. So you never know who's out there listening. You never know who's out there paying attention. But I'm grateful for anything. And the quick story for you. One of the biggest things I always learned about people listening, I'll never forget when I first got the ESPN Radio. And at that time, I was filling in on the sports bash when Eric mm-hmm. Silly used to do the show. And I had Mike Golick come on to talk about retired athletes not getting the proper respect from the current NFL players and the NFL Players Association. So Golick and I have this great conversation. And about five minutes in, Amanda Brown, who was the producer of the show at the time, she goes, "Um, Gene Upshaw is listening to the conversation, and he wants to weigh in. And Gene Upshaw at that time was the leader of the Players Association. And he and Mike Golick had known each other for years, and they had a great, just going back and forth about what was right, what was wrong, you're wrong here, you're wrong there, you're right here, you're right there. And it just went off for 15 minutes. And one of our managers Pete he came in, he says, don't worry about the commercial break. Just go right past it. This, <laughs> it's too good to go to a commercial break. And it was so compelling for 20 minutes. And there was a mutual respect. They said their goodbyes. And Mike said, man, Flay, that was pretty cool. I said, that was fantastic for me. I was tasty pudding when that went on. So you just never know who's out there listening, who's out there paying attention. And that, to me, crystallized everything that I've always thought about our, our media form, whether it's radio or TV. You just never know who's out there paying attention.
1: Has there been a subject recently or maybe even in the past that you just ended up getting sick of talking about that you had to keep revisiting day after day. And it just got to the point where it was like, man, I cannot wait for something else to happen because I'm sick of this.
0: The flake gate. I mean, our national nightmare has Has to to be. be over. I mean, here we are, John, now a year and a half almost, and we're still having a potential discussion about footballs being deflated when you had two entities whose egos were out of control when it comes to Roger Goodell, the National Football League and Tom Brady, the New England Patriots, how hard would it have been for Roger Goodell to say, "Dudes, we know what you were doing, knock it off or else and or the Patriots saying, man, we didn't know what was going on, we shouldn't have done it, we understand it, we're sorry, we won't do it again. I have to pay the fine, come to agreement, shake hands and walk away. Instead, that's time i about getting the Supreme Court involved, I'm thinking, don't they have more important things along the lines of taxes, school system, you know, money, right. not worrying about deflating footballs? That is one story that if it ever goes away, and I hope that sooner than later, then I'm going to be so glad to never, ever talk about that. And Even when it comes up, if a decision comes up, I'm not going to give it more than two minutes of my time if I have my way because this has gone on long enough with people that are adults. That are supposed to know better, but they're acting like children in a sandbox because somebody has a bigger pail and a bigger shovel than somebody else.
1: I had a feeling you were just going to put a response on your soundboard, and whenever anyone just brings it up, just have your producer hit the button, play the recording, (laughs) because I know your stance hasn't changed for the last year and a half or so, and it's just something that people continue to ask, and it's like, do we really have to do this again? I mean, how many times can we beat this against the wall?
0: Yeah, and at a certain point, when did you just give it up if you're both? And apparently, both of these two have come too far and have dug their their trenches too deep. They think they're going to back down now. And I understand it, but it still doesn't make any sense if you have a brain in your head that allowed it to get to this point and get this far if you're Tom Brady and the Patriots and the National Football League and Commissioner Rod
1: Nobody circles the wagons in sports talk radio quite like <laughs> the National Football League. They're always in the news. Is there a time in the sports year that you – don't necessarily look forward to as far as the content not being as strong? Or is this a 24-7, 365, you're going to be able to find something to talk about no matter what time of the year it is?
0: Oh, our format's like Denny's, John. We're always open. We always have the Grand Slam. We always have, we always have the moves over my hand, be ready for <laughs> anybody to consume. There's no such thing, especially now when Sports Talk Radio continues to increase listenership. It continues to do big business. A lot of stations are changing formats to get in on the Sports Talk Radio goldmine that seems like that track is never going to run out, no matter if it's national or no matter if it's local. So there's no such thing as a down period because, and we say this all the time on our show, somebody out there is always doing something, whether it's good or whether it's bad. But somebody either on the field or off the field, they're always doing something. So immediately, you're always going to have a base of something to talk about or a base of something to discuss that a lot of people either want to hear or want to pay attention to or want to get your insight on. So there's never been a day, and I'll never forget when Nick Saban decided to leave LSU to go to the Miami Dolphins. He did that on Christmas Day, and you would think that's the one day where nothing's going on, where there are no games going on at that time. There's nothing that a lot of people are going to be interested in, interested in outside of the NBA, and he did that. So if something like that can happen on Christmas Day, then every day is always going to be up for grabs, especially in our format, because somebody, one way or the other, is always going to be doing something.
1: Has there ever been a guest that you would view as one of the best guests you've ever interviewed? Not necessarily for the content that they had to say, but just because of how you might have viewed them as an athlete or what they might have meant to you. I know you've spoken before about the hero worship that is in athletic culture and that if you really want heroes, you should be looking in the home and in your school and in the people around your community and not with athletes that wouldn't be able to recognize you in a crowd. But are there a couple names that stick out to you when you were interviewing them and just thought, wow, I can't believe I got the chance to speak to this man?
0: Well, one guy was Terrell Owens. I'll never forget when he came by last year. And with him, you don't know what to expect. You're going to expect the brutal, honest truth whether you want to hear it or not. But he was open to any question that I asked him. And I didn't hold any punches back right. with anything with him. And he didn't hold anything back either. And it wasn't one of those adversarial conversations. It was nothing like that. And I think the one thing that probably put him at ease with me, but he knew I was going to be tough with him, when I said, I'm more interested in the person than the player that played football. I said, how are you doing right now? And it just seemed to relax him. So when I asked tough questions that he knew was coming, it was really, really cool to hear his responses and his truth according to him. So that was one person that whatever misconception I might have had going into that was completely thrown out of the window because I said, okay, I don't have to, or or other people don't have to like what he did or how he went about things, but he's his own person. He's never backed down from that. And if anything, I had more respect for him than those who try to be tough and act tough and aren't tough when, when that comes right down to it. So that's one person that jumps out to me Another person is Lil Wayne, the rapper. And I'm telling you, I tell people <laughs> yes. all the time, he may not be the biggest person in the world, but his voice is deep like the late Bobby Wolmack, has an incredible speaking voice, number one. But number two, his sports knowledge is just unbelievable and not just about his teams. And I said, have you ever wanted to do this? And he said, nah, you got to get up early in the morning to do this kind of thing. That's not for me <laughs> get up early in the morning is not my kind of thing. But he is so great to his fans. He's so great to what we've been able to do. He's always engaging. And whatever. And I'll never forget people on Twitter were just chiming in thinking, boy, I'm not a fan of Lil Wayne, but I'm a fan of him as a person. Or I might have to listen to his music more based on what the interview you just had with him. That was really cool to have people have that reaction where you said to yourself, wow, who knows who, what how people are going to take things. But a lot of people took that in the right way when it came to him.
1: Was there a sporting event that you've ever been invited to or have gone to because of your work with ESPN Radio? Did they send you to cover something that you might not have been to that ended up being an amazing sporting event?
0: The NFL Draft, when I had a chance to do that, and I was there the first time that they went from weekends to doing it during the week. And I had done it the previous two years when it was on Saturday and Sunday. But, John, it was just a great and a different energy. I'll never forget walking in the Radio City Music Hall on that Thursday, and it just felt like it was an entirely, entirely new draft. And Just just feeling the atmosphere and feeling the air in the building and the people out there, just could, they couldn't wait for something like this that had never been thought of before. And it shows, like you said, the NFL, they know, they know exactly what they're doing when it comes to marketing their product and pushing their product out there. Their thought process, and they let everybody know that we're a primetime sport. We are a primetime league. Why are we not in primetime with the signature event? And having a chance to be a part of that, being a part of history that first year, and talking to Raj Goodell and talking to Camp Newton, and those guys, it was unbelievable that I had a chance to be invited to that. And usually people are watching TV. They're watching the draft, so I know radio ratings are not going to reflect that. Yeah, no, I didn't care if not one person was listening. Right. Just to be in that building, just to be a part of that history-making event, that is something that's always, always going to be at the top of my radar in all the years I've been on ESPN Radio.
1: Here's one for the fandom in you. Are you still going to be employed at ESPN Radio when the Knicks win their next NBA championship?
0: Oh, I don't think I'll be alive by then, to be <laughs> honest with you. So the answer to that is no, I, I can't even see that in the next 10 years of that franchise, a franchise that has not won an NBA championship since 1973. And I think, I think gas was free. The last time the New York Knicks (laughs) won an NBA championship. And it seems that anytime they get a step ahead, they move themselves two steps behind it. Bill Jackson may have the right idea, but you can't really sell people what the Knicks are trying to do and how they're going to go about it. When it seems like your plan is an antiquated plan, trying to make that work. So. I don't think I'll be there by the, by the time that New York picked win an NBA championship.
1: You got to hang in there. That's that's all I can tell you. The 30 for 30, unbelievable. <laughs> it could be worse. You know, it, it could be worse. <laughs> so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. We've had some things happen as far as the NBA playoffs were concerned that make this question a little bit tougher to answer than it would have been a couple weeks ago. Between the Thunder and the Warriors battling it out to see who makes it to the finals, it looks like Cleveland is on the fast track What do you think is going to end up happening in the next couple of, well, I shouldn't say a couple of weeks. It's going to be about a month before we finally get to the finals. But how do you think things are going to fare? Do you think we're going to have a rematch of last year or can this Thunder team continue to make history and end up getting to the NBA finals?
0: I still think we're going to see a rematch between Cleveland and the Golden State Warriors. When you think about it, technically, it's two teams getting together again. It's not a rematch because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were not part of the Cleveland Cavaliers last year. So, in essence, they're going to be an entirely different team Right. when they get to the NBA Finals out of the East. And I still think Golden State's going to win that Series 7, although I like what Oklahoma City has done from a maturation standpoint that a lot of people did not think they were going to do. But I think the NBA, you're not going to be able to go wrong unless Toronto gets to the NBA Finals. And based on what we saw last night in Game 1, there's no way that's happening with the Toronto Raptors. So no matter what happens, you're going to get so much star power between Cleveland with LeBron, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love. And whether it's Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant for Oklahoma City or Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green for the Golden State Warriors, the NBA is going to have an embarrassment of riches in the NBA Finals. And believe me, if they get the same thing that they got last year, a Cleveland-Golden State Final, I can't even imagine what ratings are going to be like. We have two of the biggest stars on the planet right now, and LeBron James on one side and a two-time MVP and Steph Curry on the other side. The NBA and casual fans and hardcore fans would love to see that outside of Toronto and Oklahoma City. So I think when the finals roll around, we still are going to get that matchup that we thought and hope that we were going to see between Golden State and Cleveland. But Oklahoma City, and I said before the series started, they were not going to make this easy. Right. People are saying Golden State was going to win in five games. I said, no, 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 this series is going at least six, and I still think that's going to happen. And I still think it's going to be golden state of seven. And I see Cleveland sweeping Toronto to, to get to the NBA finals again.
1: Well, I think you're going to have more than enough storylines to keep you busy in the next couple of weeks regarding that. No I, doubt. I think that's safe to say the last thing I wanted to leave you with was to just get some of your thoughts as, as far as the industry is concerned and some of the things that you're involved in. There's a lot of people that are aspiring to get into sports media, whether that's the broadcasting side, the journalism side and things are a little bit tougher just because of how big and the magnitude that the industry has become. I know you do a lot of speaking engagements with Mansfield University and in different places to just give people some advice, some things that maybe they could take with them onto the next step in their life. What would you say to those types of people that really want to get involved in this industry and try to have an impact on sports media?
0: Two things. Number one, get discouraged because it's easy to talk yourself out of not doing something instead of talking to yourself, talking to yourself into doing something that you want to do. It's very easy to get discouraged, and you shouldn't do that because there's so many different avenues where you can get into what we do, whether it's radio, TV. There's so many multi platforms out there where you can create your niche, and you can be whether you want to be a Freddie Tolman, what I do, a Mike Greenberg, or Katie Nolan, or Jamel Hill. There's so many ways to get give people's attention, and have your name behind it. So don't get discouraged that things aren't working out for you at the beginning. That's number one. And number two, you have to realize that there are going to be people out there that don't have your best interest, but there are going to be ones that do. You find those people and you siphon off as much information as you possibly can because those people are going to be there to help you. There are plenty of people that helped me to, get, to allow me to get to where I'm at right now, and there are lessons their expertise, their experiences that they told me, and their knowledge were that is completely invaluable that I still rely on that to this day. So you find those people, and don't be afraid to ask questions because you're not going to know everything off the jump. And they want to make sure that you get ahead, that you can further our business and, be, and continue to provide a lifeblood for our business. But they're not going to search you out. You have to search them out. And when you find them you hold on to them and try to get as much information as you can because they're willing to give you that information.
1: Well, I think people, if anything, can learn a lot from just sitting down at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, turning on the radio and taking a listen to what you have to say, because not only do you provide great insights on sports, but just great insight on how to create and establish an incredible radio show. We look forward to hearing what you guys have in store down the road
0: my pleasure john and absolutely had a lot of fun had a blast doing this and it was pretty cool for me going down a little memory memory lane more than a couple of times so thanks again my friend
1: (laughs) i I appreciate you going back freddie thanks for everything you provided it was nice learning a little bit more on what goes into the show and i hope you enjoy the rest of your vacation thank you sir
0: my pleasure john and take care bud
1: That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows on my website at www.londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can also find this episode and all previous episodes over on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund Under Artists. And for all you Android users you can also find the bridge over on the Stitcher app on the next episode of the bridge perhaps we will discuss the current goings-on in the NBA playoffs and which teams seem to be on a path to meet each other in the NBA finals we could also take a look inside the MLB and see if there's been any more fisticuffs or whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on the bridge keeping you connected with all things sports